The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Jamie Kaluga, Ph.D., author of The Superwoman's Guide to Super Fulfillment, Step-by-Step Strategies to Create Work-Life Balance. Dr. Kaluga is a certified life coach, a licensed mental health counselor, and motivational speaker. Uh, She is, as I mentioned, the author of The Super Guides to Super Fulfillment, but she is the inspirational founder of the nationally known Superwoman Workshops as well, and she's been featured internationally for her expertise in work-life balance. Uh, You can see more about her on her website, mindfulrehab.com. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Dr. Jamie Kaluga. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Thank you. Great to have you. Okay, I just want to read this little thing to you. Uh, Actually, I think it comes from your PR people, and it really resonates with me anyway. What women today... What woman today doesn't feel overworked, overtired, stressed out, and pushed to her limit? We all feel we aren't doing enough, we don't have enough time, and we are lost to ourselves, awash in commitments that never allow for our own moments of self-care, personal enjoyment, and individual reward. And as you put it, we are on the Ferris wheel that keeps us stuck going round and round. Okay, so today we're going to talk about how we can stop doing that, get off that Ferris wheel, get that work-life balance, create a lifestyle that works for us instead of against us. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes, that is exactly what we're going to do, and it starts with learning to say no. Um, so get ready, put your hats on, because we're going to get off the Ferris wheel today. <laughs> <laughs> learning to say, would you say learning to say no is the biggest problem that women have? I know it's one of my biggest problems. I mean, yeah, I, I, we, I, I, I love... we, we, you know, we all have our own issues, but one of the things that I've I've noticed amongst all the women is that yes. Um, we struggle to say no. We are people pleasers by nature. We like to say yes. When we say yes, we have satisfied ourselves and the other person right then and there. When you say no, the payoff is in the end. So it's when you get a walk away and you don't have another life role. You don't have more responsibility. Um, but you don't get that initial smile from someone, that initial thank you, and that you know, that kind of instigates that feeling of guilt in us. Did we make them mad or fear? Fear, did we lose an opportunity? Are they not going to reach out to us again um, because we said no to them? So um, it, it's really working to, the, the book helps you actually to identify your priorities and stick with them, stick with your goals, stay on focus, stay on task, um, and, and meanwhile being able to say no to all, the, all these other people and all these other things that take you off of that track. Okay, so how do you do it? Because, uh, you know, I read a little bit of you. I didn't actually read your bio, but here yep. you are, yes. Ph.D., married mother of two, inspirational speaker. I'm reading all of these things, workshop leader, coach, counselor, uh, 
you know, you have the Mindful Rehabilitation website featured on Forbes, Maria Shriver's blog, Glamour, Self, Prevention Magazine. So when did you say no? It seems to oh me. Oh, my goodness. Well, actually, I did say no. There was a point, and, and there's actually a great, I'll give you a little um, a little uh, example of something that I wrote in the book, and this, this hit it home for me. I was trying to get my businesses up and running, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to be a great wife, and trying to figure out how to be a mom to these two boys and I'm I'm balancing it all. I'm known as superwoman, right? Because not not in not in the bigger community, okay? Uh not because the book hadn't been out yet. But just locally, mom's calling me superwoman, sister is, friends are, just people local are. And so I feel like I have to live up to this name. So I'm taking on all these things. I'm networking like crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm waking up early to network. I'm working all day. I'm networking at night. I'm running myself to the ground. I'm never home with the people that matter the most to me, my husband and my kids. Um, and I remember specifically being at an event, and the president of the event comes up to me, and he asks me to be on the leadership board. Um, the, and, and I remember in my head saying, heck no, heck no, Jamie, say no. And then I was like, oh, yes, I would love to. Thank you. And I can, like, vividly remember, like, a movie that happening. And I went in the bathroom and I just started crying. And I'm like, what am I doing? I don't have time for this. I'm not, I'm not home till 11, 12 o'clock at night. Why did I just say yes to this? Um, and then what happened, long story short, is I did start writing the book, but from there, for lesson learned, but I had taken back my yes. And what we have to be very cautious about is that when we say yes, We've worked really hard for our credibility, and that's why people reach out to us and ask us to do things. When we say yes and then we don't come through on that, we can ruin our credibility in, in an instant. It may have taken you five, ten years to build that, and you can ruin it in one second. So be very cautious and start getting in the habit. This is what I've learned. Get in the habit of saying, you know what, thank you for reaching out to me. Let me think on this for a couple days. Give them a time, 24 hours, 10 minutes. Uh, a week, whatever it is, and let me get back to you on that. And start getting the habit of saying that for everything that you do, um, so that way when the bigger things come ar- around, you don't, you don't just say, yes, of course, absolutely, that you, you can take some space from that. Now, so in other know, words, that is really good advice. So do not say you. yes right away. Even if you end up saying yes, give it a day or give it more time if you have it, yes. but just give it a yes. time. Yeah. But what about, Jamie, there's a kind of high isn't there a hot that you, when somebody says, oh, you know, you want to be head of this committee or executive director of this or whatever it is, it's like, oh my God, this is such a high. And you've got to kind of work against that, not allow that to take over. Yeah, because you don't want to run on emotion. Because while, while I was so great, I, I truly was, I was grateful and thankful for that opportunity. Um, I let my emotion of that, yes, oh my God, thank you. It, it, that, that yes forgot. My husband that's waiting for me at home, my kids, what about the businesses that I'm trying to get up and running? What about all these other things that I have to do? I did not give myself time to sit there and reflect on the pros and cons of taking this extra role on. Um, and, And when you do say no to something, whether it's later, five days down the road, or it's instantly, to avoid that guilty feeling, you can say to someone, hey, you know, I can't do that, but I know, you know, Susie's been killing for an opportunity like this. She would, she would be so grateful. Reach out to her. Or, hey, um, you know, I can't do this, but here are some resources to get you jump-started. 
And don't and just leave them with a no and a hand in their face. Give them something to go with. Okay. And I think the other thing, Beth, you're talking about, it sounds like that was in, pers- in person, but also, I mean, I know I get a lot of emails. Do you want to be on this committee? Do you want to do this? And it's it, the Internet makes it really easy to respond. And you think, oh, yeah, you know, and you just click it off, and then you think, what did I do? I, I don't want to do that. I really yes. don't want to do that. So yes. that's another medium you have to kind of deal with, too. Don't respond to your emails right away either. Yes, no, don't. And you can make a you can make a an idea folder, um, you know, off to the side that says uh, upcoming events question mark or however you want to label it, and you can click and drag all the requests that you have into this folder. And then maybe do every two days, do a check and look through them and say, okay, do I want to do this? Because first off, that folder is going to be good because when you open it and you see fifteen requests, your 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 brain is actually going to tell you, okay hello, you can't do all of these. So at least you know that there's going to be some no's when you can visually see how many people need you right then and there. It's not possible. Um, but I think when we get these one request here and one request here and one request here, yes, I can do that. Yes, I can do that because you're not seeing it all in one chunk. So that email that you're, you know, we're talking about might actually be a good idea for you to see how many requests and how many opportunities. So you don't have to fear losing anything when you say no. How many opportunities you get as well on a day-to-day or weekly basis. And then you can also do what you said. You can then have an opportunity to maybe make referrals to somebody else that you know who would maybe want to do this particular job or whatever it is. And, you know, so you, that gives you an opportunity to do that when you take time, whether it's in person or on the net. Also, I think one of the things you like, the first thing at least that comes out in your book which I think is helpful to everyone, is you, you say you have to sit down and really identify your life roles and prioritize what really matters to you. And that kind of is like an umbrella, isn't it, for everything? So everything kind of falls underneath that. If you just kind of, what are your, you know, you're prioritizing. What's the most important thing to you? Doesn't everything come under that? Yes. Yes, and that's so important to be before you set a goal, before you take on another obligation, it is so important to have identified your life roles. So what I challenge everybody out there to do is create a list of these. But this isn't just, you know, spouse, parent, worker. Think of everything. Maybe you're the the dog walker for the neighbor. Maybe you're the family CPA or the laundry doer, the grocery shopper, uh, a PTA, you know, president, whatever you are. All these roles you play, you want to go ahead and list them out and visually see them. Then you go through the list and you circle the top five. Um, And this is where you give 100% of your time to. So I'll get people that say, well, I can't give 100% to my roles because the laundry has to get done and the kids have to eat so I have to grocery shop. But what that means is when you're in the 100% means when you're in the moment with that particular life role, that you are present with that life role. So instead of spending four hours with the kids and you're on the computer and on the phone and you haven't even said a word to them, give them 20 minutes on the floor, play Thomas the Train, and they will be more accepting when you say, okay, mommy has to go now and do work in the other room or mommy's leaving for work now. They're going to be more accepting because you gave them quality and dedicated time. And when you walk away, you're not feeling so guilty because you know they're happy and you feel like, okay, I've satisfied this role. I'm good. Um, so, yeah, so identifying your roles and giving time to them. Yeah. Same goes with your spouse. Uh, well, you know, when you talk about quality time with your kids, I, 
you know, I remember when my kids were young, it's not only that you're giving to them, but then you have the opportunity for them to give back to you, stuff that you never would, if you're just running around or you're sitting there really not paying attention to them, they don't have the opportunity to give to you, and they have so much to give to you. And yeah. I think that we kind of get lost, you know, and as women, um, you know, we just think if we're just there physically, that's enough. And it's really not. No, it's not. It's not. And one of the things that we've done in our household is uh, we have dinner together every night. And I am not, I don't keep up with the Joneses. I know that Miss Jones probably eats dinner at 630 every night and it's a four-course meal. And, you know, they're praying before the meal. I can't do that. If I get home at 9 o'clock, yes, the kids are up late and that's when we're eating, but it works for our family because there is a moment in the day that we all get together. And we take our phones, and they are not even allowed to be upside down at the table. They are not even at the table. They are away. And I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm praying that Oprah and Ellen are going to call me someday. But even if they call me during that dinner, I cannot answer um, because that is the time that I am giving to my family. I want to know what went well in their day, what mom can help them out with, what didn't go well, um, you know, whatever. We, we, we just have our own little moment, and it's so special. And maybe it's only 30 minutes, and maybe it's late at night, but it really connects our family. Um, it's so, so I, important I, I, for you to say that, I think, because I think that we try to, that's, you just mentioned something that I think as, as maybe as mothers we try to do to fit into kind of this niche where everybody's eating at 6.30 with a four-course meal you mentioned. No, I can't do that, and that's okay, and I can feed my kids at 9 o'clock at night, and we don't need that. We, however, our family's different. Our family's unique, and I think that's so important. I, I, I mean, I think that's one of the most important things that you have to say because I think we feel really guilty if we're, we don't think that we're doing exactly what everybody else is doing. Um, it's really each family has their own their own context in which to do this, and you have to figure out what that is. Yes, absolutely. And one of the things that I talk about and I say over and over again is you've got to be cautious when you're raising your family, uh, when you're going about the day-to-day Ferris wheel, when you're taking on a new goal, that you're not comparing yourself to anybody else. You've got to compare it to yourself, your family, your situation. Um, because when you compare, you are, I mean, you are really just seeing the cover of the book. If I compare myself to the Jones, who's got the four-course meal at 6.30, well, I don't know that maybe her husband has left her or there's something nasty going on in the background, or maybe she's got a, so much money that she's got a cook that's cooking the four-course meal. Um, so I, I, I don't have that. So I think it's very important for you to say, okay, I, what, what's my value? My value is that at some point during the day, our family collectively gets together and we catch up on each other. Okay, well, Jones does it at 6.30, Mary does it at 7.30, I can't do it till 9. I'm not going to feel so guilty because what's important, I'm getting resolved, is meeting with my family and seeing how they went. So yeah. compare it to your own situation so you don't set yourself up for failure. And, and sometimes that dis- and that's difficult. You know, you go to school and you're there and with the other mothers and there's all the talking about the, one's doing this and one's doing that. So it's easy to get hooked into, oh, God, I should be doing that too, but not. you really need to back off from that. One of the other things that you talk about is that you want to just cut, really have a bucket list. Like what do you, and I think that bucket list, I don't, I mean, some people think that's been overused, but I don't. I think it's really important that you really need to take a look. What do you want to accomplish? It's not that you're going to accomplish everything on that bucket list, but you need some kind of a framework to fulfill your own bucket list. I think that's 
and not wait till well I'll do this in five years or ten years because you may not be here and things change and you only know what you know now. So yes. even when you yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And I think the problem with the bucket list, so I actually have rules for the bucket list in, in the book, is we say, oh, my God, I want to travel to Italy, and I want to tour the world, and I want to backpack through Europe. And all these dreams are great, but they're very costly. And you probably can't travel to every island before you kick the can unless you're a multimillionaire and you're going to do traveling like full-time. Most of us can't do that. So instead of making this bucket list of places that you want to travel, go ahead and put a few on there. Um, But also think about smaller things, things that you could do this weekend. Oh my God, I've never done horseback riding. Holy cow. I want a horseback ride through the ocean, uh, you know, the the shoreline of the ocean. That's going on my bucket list. I've never paddleboarded. I'm going to try paddleboarding. These are realistic things that you can do in your own backyard or local in your community that you've never had an opportunity to try that will bring fulfillment and happiness. Um, so instead of just waiting for that one big vacation that's going to take you five years to save for, start adding to your bucket list things that you want to try and do that will create excitement and passion again in your life and do them this weekend. And also I think when you do them in the context of your own family, let's say your kids are 10 and 12 and, or 8, 10 and 12, you can do certain kids, certain things with your kids when they're that age, whether yes. it's, you know, stuff that you can do at home that you can't do. I mean, they may not do well if you were traveling, going to Paris with them. So do yes, things, that, yeah, but maybe 10 <laughs> years or five years from now, then they'll be ready to do that. So it, like timing is really important, I guess is what you're saying. And doing stuff with your kids, it's appropriate, age appropriate too. And those are very different things, you know, at 10 than they will be at 15, say, for instance, when your kids are 10 and 15. Exactly, exactly. And you don't want to take that trip to Paris that you really have waited your whole life to take with your newborn baby, your two-year-old, and your five-year-old. Exactly. Your trip is going to be ruined. <laughs> so just save your money for I was going to say, save your money, stay home, and yeah. <laughs> Swim in the back your backyard pool or whatever it is yes. <laughs> go to the Y. Because <laughs> you're going to be in your expensive hotel room doing the same thing that you could have done at home, right? Exactly. That's exactly where you'll be. And most likely, typically, children get sick when you travel, right? They're, like, barfing all over. The other one's got the fever. So don't do it. (laughs) Yeah. I've done that. I I had three boys, and I spent one. I I took them to the Caribbean, and one was five. And, of course, immediately he got a temperature. And there I was, right, in the middle of the Caribbean in this great hotel sitting with him. So... Um, it would have been better off if I had stayed home. So I yeah. think we've all done that. I've yeah. done that. So now as far as I go is uh, Disney, which is uh, we're in Tampa, so Orlando's not very far. And even then, and it's just an hour down the road, I'm like, okay, do we have the medication? Let's make sure we have Tylenol, ibuprofen, the thermometer, just because right. if, if I don't bring that, by the time we get halfway there, someone spikes the fever. I don't know how it happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, they, that's nature. That's just. I think that's all part of it for some reason. You're right. <laughs> Right. Somebody suddenly gets sick. Okay. Um, well, now one of the things also, another, and this is not easy to do. You say, re, you know, get rid of those toxic people in your life because they do take up a lot of time and that, and that, a lot of time, a lot of energy. Yes. Um, and women tend to, I think, and I, I know I'm, we're, I'm generalizing. They seem to just keep those toxic people, whether they think they're going to change them or things are going to change, and they just find it difficult to get rid of 
those people in your life? I mean, if it's family, it's difficult. If it's friends, if it's work, I don't know. How do you do it? Yeah, well, first you got to create a list of who you think is toxic. Be honest, okay? So you don't have to you don't have to rid of these people tomorrow, but go ahead and create a genuine, honest list of people that are toxic, the people that plant seeds of doubt in your head, the people that abuse you, hurt you, leave you, make you cry all the time, the negative Nancys. Uh, create a list, and those are the people that you do either want to rid of or set boundaries with. A lot of times, you know, I, I tell women out there, especially I notice when it comes to men, a lot of times they'll keep a toxic man around. And, uh, and I say, you know, it took 42 years to make that man. You cannot change him in six months. It's not going to happen. So because people are ingrained with certain ways, and if they don't want to give a little and they don't want to, you know, try to help themselves, you're not going to be able to change them. So it's really um, educating women and, uh, you know, whether it's not being controlling or coming to terms that you can't, we're nurturers, uh, but realizing you can't change everything. Um, it's really important to build their confidence, too. So women, if you're holding on to something because maybe you're fearing that nothing better is going to come around, really work on building your confidence and focusing solely on you. When the women come in my office with a toxic man, we switch focus onto them. How are you going to eat? How are you going to drink, right? Um, how much water are you, you know, drinking? How many times a week are we going to exercise? You want to go for that MBA? Let's roll you into that, enroll you into that program now. And when they start taking control over themselves again, and feeling sexy and good about themselves, either they're confident enough to leave the guy or the guy does end up changing because their reactions have changed. So you're saying don't focus on the toxic person. Focus on yourself. Well, you know, what the, and, and then everything will change. Is that what you're saying? I mean, Absolutely. The, whole, the best yeah. way to change anybody, pretty much the only way to change another person is to change your reaction towards them. So, and, and why give that toxic person so much of your energy and your time? No, 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 no. Take that back. Give that to yourself. You deserve that. Yeah, I think that it, it, seems, it sounds simple. Uh, it's not so simple because, uh, you know, as a social worker, too, I've worked with a lot of couples, either married couples or partners or whatever, and it, it is the same thing. Somehow you get hooked into the needs and wants and beliefs of that toxic person, and it's like, hey, wait a minute. I need to separate. I need to take a look at what I want. And uh, and once you do that, as you say, the, the toxic person, you're not as appealing to the toxic person because they need somebody like you to be hanging on them. <laughs> and so they themselves will leave. That that's I think that's a really good point. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Now, when you talk about becoming self-actualized, because that's a term we use like in social work a lot. Yes. But you say, you know, it has this kind of like, I have to be perfect, I have to be self-actualized, I have to reach nirvana, I have to do this. I mean, that's a big job. But you're saying, no, don't do not do that. We don't have no, to be Ms. perfect. No, Miss Jones does that, but remember, we don't compare to Miss Jones, so we're no yeah. longer doing that. Um, actually, perfectionism can hurt your success because um, one of the things that it does is it keeps you from, one, if you if you hold yourself to this perfectionism standard, well, perfe- per- perfection is subjective. What's perfect to you is not perf- perfect to me. So I'm going to be chasing something that I never obtain. That decreases confidence and a lot of our energy. 
So we have to be very cautious um, with holding ourselves to a perfectionism, a a perfect standard. Then you have someone who you have the people that hold others to this perfectionism standard. Well, that hurts your success because you tend to not delegate things out then. Well, I can't give that uh, project over to Paul. He's not going to do it the way that I do it. I can't give the grocery shopping to my husband even though I'm overwhelmed today. He won't do it the way that I do it. We have to give that up that control and that standard up um, because we're, we're uh, reducing the opportunities for advancement um, because we're doing all this other little stuff and we're not, taking, uh, we're not stepping outside of the box. Uh, we keep everything hoarded right at us and just overwhelm ourselves. Feel, start delegating out. Don't hold everyone to this perfectionism standard. Let them do it their way. Tweak it if you need to. But don't micromanage. Start trusting people um, and, and give a little bit, take a little bit off your plate. What was the point or when did you realize that for yourself, would you say? I mean, you gave the example of yourself when you were finally able to say, no, you realized, wait, I can't do all this when you were asked to do something uh, in a business situation. Okay, but so like in this particular situation, was there any point when you realized, wow, um, that you were not, that you were doing this, that you were not able to delegate, that you had this perfectionist yeah. behavior? Yeah, we had our, our second son. And, um, and, and my husband's always been a great support. He, he's done the work and the baby. I think, I think many, it's, it's amazing how much men um, are, are supportive and helpful. I don't think we give them enough credit sometimes, especially in this generation. Or enough opportunity, as you said. Give them the opportunity. They have to practice. Yes, give them the yeah. opportunity. And I, I harbored a lot of guilt, so I think when we don't want to delegate And mine was I didn't want my my husband to think like I wasn't a superwoman, so I started like I noticed I was slipping on meals and I wasn't making dinner all the time, and I'm like, oh my god, but you don't understand, I'm working three jobs and I've got these two kids and I'm nursing and I and I'm okay, but I can't make excuses. I need to try it. And then I said, he is not going to care if I never make dinner again. He's going to be okay with it. He'll say, I'll make the dinner. I love to grill. Let me grill. So I started like you know speaking up, and he was totally like no, no problem like. Why, I've wondered why you've taken it on all this time. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so it's really coming, uh, you know, identifying your fears and coming to awareness what you have on your plate and, and identifying the supports around you that want to help you. My husband's with me every single day. He wants to help. Why am I not letting him? I don't yeah. know. Okay. Yeah. Here you go. <laughs> Take this over. And what an amazing um, I was able to just grow my business through being able to delegate things out. I grow my family, everything. Um, so, yeah, identify your supports and use them because they want to help you. Yeah, and don't second guess them. I guess I mean that's what I hear you saying as well. Because one of the, yeah. you know you mentioned the other thing, obviously, and they, it's obvious, but we don't always do it. Communicate. You just have to communicate and communicate with confidence, as you say. Just communicate. Like, okay, I, I don't, I. You know, I don't want to make dinner every night, or I don't, you know, okay, fine, you don't have to. Uh, but sometimes we don't even say it, and then you get angry and frustrated and feel like you have to do everything, but you don't really. You haven't no, even No, you don't, and we've, we've, we've brainwashed ourselves into thinking that, into thinking, oh, man, I, I'm doing it myself again. Oh, I always do it. I can do everything by myself. And, you know, I noticed, too, with a lot of single moms, they're forced to get in that habit initially to do everything by themselves, and then it becomes accustomed, and then it becomes just this habit, okay, 
I do by myself. They don't, sometimes they don't even stop to think that they could ask for support because they're just so used to doing it all by themselves. But, you know, I challenge every one of us to look around and say, what's one thing on my plate that I'm overwhelmed with today that I could use a support for, whether it's a husband or whether it's your local resources in your community. What, what one piece of support can you use and get help from that would take a weight off your plate? Well, I, I challenge you to identify that this week. Well, there, I mean, Jamie, there's so much good, that's good advice, and there's so much more good advice in your book. We have to say goodbye because our next guest is here. But I, I want to mention the book again, The Superwoman's Guide to Super Fulfillment, Step-by-Step Strategies to Create Work-Life Balance. And you can also find uh, Jamie at uh, mindfulrehab.com. Uh, great having you on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a great one. I appreciate yeah, it. You too. We're going to take a short break. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you heard your 15 minutes of fame? How about four times that every single week? It's the Fame Game. Listen as Maddie Rose, who is up and coming in the world of fame, brings you fame from all walks of life. You'll hear from doctors, teachers, mentors, life heroes, as well as those in the fields of acting, movies, music, and more. Who knows? You might be the next one Maddie Rose talks to on the air. Listen for the Fame Game every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Kids Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. 
Joining me this morning, my second guest is Alka Dillon. She's author of The Ohm Factor, A Woman's Spiritual Guide to Leadership, Seven Essential Tools and Seven Key Traits to Cultivate for Your Success and Well-Being. She is the founder and CEO of Technolink, an IT consulting firm that works with both government and commercial clients. Uh, Dylan blogs for the Huffington Post and has received several awards for her professional work and community service, including the Abe Venable Legacy Award for Lifetime Achievement presented by the U.S. Department of Commerce. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Alka. Thank you. Nice to be here, Catherine. Good morning, everyone. Okay, so we're going to be talking about a woman's spiritual guide to leadership. Um, you know, you hear the word spiritual, and some people kind of balk at that. Spiritual, it's kind of touchy-feely, you know, spiritual meditation. Um, it, does it really work? And I just have this quote that uh, the, Harvard Medi- uh, the Harvard Business Review sums it up. Meditation increases productivity while reducing anxiety and mental stress. Um, so I think we've come a long way in terms of kind of mainstream, uh, even conservative, conventional organizations really supporting meditation and spirituality. So that's a good thing. Absolutely. It's a great thing. And, and you know, just to, just to let everyone know, it absolutely does work. And I think the thing that makes it so um, daunting or, or it makes it seem polarizing is that Everyone, when they think of the word meditation, they, they actually get a visual of a person sitting on top of a mountain somewhere, or they get a visual of someone that has to take out an hour out of their day or things like that. And, and the first reaction I get when I bring up meditation is that I have no time for it. I just don't have any time for it. So the one thing I want to I say out of the gate is that you only need, literally, in order to get an effect and see results, two minutes out of each day. And, you know, you can sit, and I even discuss this in the book, you can sit with, a, with your timer on your phone. If you have an iPhone, I happen to have an iPhone, and you just set the timer for two minutes, and you just close your eyes. And this is going to demystify meditation right now. You can sit on a chair or you can sit on the floor, depending on what you're able to do, close your eyes and simply only observe your breath without manipulating it. That's the key. A lot of times people think, oh, how many exhales, how many inhales, and you you kind of get into that. That's not meditation. It is simply observing your breath. Now, here's the other thing. Thoughts are going to come, and they're going to go, and that is okay. That is the biggest thing that people think is that they have to be thoughtless in order to meditate. If you're thoughtless, you're not human. You know what I mean? You're, you're going to have thoughts about, I have to pick up the laundry. I have to make it to this meeting. I have to go pick up my child. Let those come and go. What will eventually happen is that there will be a delta between thought A and thought B. And it's within that gap that your magic happens, your intentions manifest, and everything transpires. So once that two minutes is up, you just sit for a couple more seconds, let yourself recalibrate, get up, and go on with your day. And I promise you, you will take that stillness and silence into every meeting that you have and to every interaction that you have, whether it be in business, whether it be in your personal relationships, and it enables you to then respond rather than react. And when we respond, we are doing things more mindfully and many more successful outcomes emerge from that. And when you say successful outcomes, so that may be... as you, 
work-related or relationships, but also we're talking about physical, like you have lower blood pressure or maybe lower cholesterol, all those nasty things that happen to us when we're under stress and have an anxiety or at least exacerbates those kinds of problems. So if we do that, what you described, two minutes, I'm thinking about it in the morning, but uh, if you do that just at the beginning, just two minutes, I mean, how long does that take? Like weeks or months before there's kind of like a a buildup, I guess, of, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but so that does have an impact on your lifestyle, your habits, and your physical well, you will see you will see an immediate impact after the first day. You're going to see it after that first day because see, this is the thing. And to first answer your question, Catherine, about the medical and the physical response, when we have um, negative events that happen to us that we perceive as negative. All right. So when I say when you have something that hurts you, something that angers you, something that infuriates you, all those things make deposits into your body, right? In the form of very toxic deposits. And they just kind of sit there. Those toxic deposits manifest into have physical manifestations into disease, right? Disease in the body. You'll notice high blood pressure, hypertension, high blood pressure, uh, anxiety, weight gain. You'll even notice, um, I've even had in my life, which is what brought this book about, I mean, you can make, you won't be able to walk maybe one day or your hand won't move or when you, when stress manifests and it manifests into stress into your body. What happens is though that when those deposits are made, you don't see that happen immediately. When you have a, a rough interaction at work with that coworker that's uh, a little challenging or a, or a business deal that's not going the way that you want or your spouse or significant other or your children, when you have those strives that happen, they don't manifest immediately. It's those deposits that manifest. So this, what this does is it brings that fresh breath and life force and what they call prana into your body. And with each breath, it clears out a little bit of each of the deposits. There's no set formula of, oh, it takes one week and, oh, you see something. I, I mean, you'll notice it within the first day. What will happen is, though, it will be cumulative. Here's the thing with meditation, though, that's very, very important. I do not care, and it does not matter how long you meditate. It's how consistent you are with the meditation. If you can do two minutes every day and continue doing that, you will see a better result than someone that does once a week for an hour. I promise you that. Because you need to have the constant ability for your body to rejuvenate and recalibrate. And here's the other thing. A lot of listeners are probably thinking, well, I breathe every day, right? I'm getting that prana in my body every day. I'm taking breaths and, you know, but you're not doing it mindfully. You're not observing that breath. It's just happening, right? It's very passive. This is a very active thing when you do meditation, and that is where you get the result. And it's success. when When you asked about success, it's success in everything that you do. So that's why the the subhead of the OM factor is um, seven essential tools and seven key traits for your success and well-being. Success some, for some people is not, you know, it's not material, it's not financial, it's it's not. It might be emotional, it might be philanthropic, it could be many ethereal things, you know. So so that's that's another key I'd like to point out. 
Well, okay, I'll, I just want to bet you said something about, well, actually the motivation or why you wrote the book personally. Yeah. Like you were, in a, you were in a state or a situation that wasn't productive for you. So tell us about that. Yeah, so so this came out, you know, out of a big tragedy. So let's see, 19 years ago, uh, my father passed away very suddenly. He was very young. He was in his 50s um, of a heart attack, and it was very sudden. He did not smoke, ran every day, ate very well. He was in the restaurant business, and it just it rocked us. I mean, we I was very young. I was 20, 23 at the time. I had I have two younger sisters. Um, one was, you know, only 19. One was 16, about to turn 16. So one was about to graduate high school. One was about to graduate college. And I had just gotten into the workforce. And we, our family was just, just extremely close-knit. And he was my best friend and also my father. And, you know, my mother was here as well. And he was the breadwinner in the family. So he so immediately... He just, we saw him in the morning and we didn't see him in the evening. And it had such a profound um, effect on all of us. But immediately on me, there was a lot of financial pressure that was put on very quickly because he was the breadwinner and there was not, nothing, nobody was there to take care of anything. And we had, you know, two other um, younger girls in the family that needed to go through school and we had to just survive as well. And then there was the emotional, you know, that kind of a loss is something very uh, hard to take at that young of an age. And, and unexpected. And very unexpected, um, very unexpected. And so I, it manifested in my body very quickly and I was in and out of the hospital for 30 days in the emergency room. One day, I literally, Catherine, could not walk. I couldn't walk. My legs did not work. One day, I had trouble breathing. One day, my heart was palpitating so fast that they didn't know what to do. They would do EKGs, several MRIs later, many specialist visits later. No one could figure out what it was, and they chalked it up to stress, right? So, you know, the 30 days had gone by, and one day I looked at myself in the mirror and I didn't know who that person was. I just didn't, I didn't even, there was no, there was just no light in the eyes. It was just, just, just there, just like a, there's like a shell of a body just looking at myself. And I said, you know what, I, gotta, I have to do something about this. I cannot, I cannot, I will not be able to function like this. I probably won't survive this. And I have my family to take care of. And that day I enrolled in a yoga class. Now, I happen to be a first-generation Indian American. My father meditated every day, and he meditated on the banks of the Potomac River. I grew up in Mount Vernon, which is right outside of Alexandria, Virginia. It's a beautiful area. And I would see him meditate when we would go together for a run or a jog on the weekends as a family. And he would meditate afterwards, and I thought he was crazy. I really did. I, I just thought, who is going to do that? I was really young, and I just I thought it was just crazy. I enrolled in that yoga class. At the end of that yoga class was meditation. It was slightly familiar to me because I'd seen it and thought it was crazy, but I did it. I did it. And I tell you, I went for two weeks every day to that class, that yoga class, and I never set foot in an emergency room again after that. It was life-changing. It saved my life. And I attribute that to, yes, yoga, but mostly the meditation. Because How did you know to go to take to go yoga? I mean, like you had gone to here, you are in the hospital, and with every, you know all these 
specialists and tests and all that kind of stuff. What made you say, okay, I have to do something for myself because they're not doing anything to help me. But what made you, do you think it was because maybe your father, maybe it was, I don't know, maybe in your unconscious, like because he had done meditation, like that's why you just said, okay, I'll do yoga. Was that... I absolutely think it was that, you know, I mean, growing up from, you know, having that background and that those deposits being placed into my subconscious about seeing the meditation, seeing, and, you know, being from India, I mean, this is, this is where our history is. It is, you know, anything in Ida and yoga is, is there. It's ancient. It's, it is, it is a daily life practice of most people uh, over there. And I just, I don't know, you know, Catherine, I tell you, it just, it just, it literally a light turned on and I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I, and I, and I just looked for, I (laughs) went online and found the nearest yoga class and went, and, you know, people can say that, okay, it was a message from the universe and, 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 or, or it came from somewhere. I believe it was a message from the universe, but whatever it was, I am internally grateful because I'm here today because of that. And I'm going to tell you then once I, once I got myself together, then everything started thriving, you know. Um, you know, yes, you navigate through the grief, and still today there is that grief. Uh, it's very challenging to talk about it. But I tell you, the grief moves. It moves to a different place. You then become and you understand what the present moment is, right? And that, that is, you know, when we don't live in that present moment, when you say present moment, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very um, easy thing to talk about, and a lot of people don't know what it means and you don't understand it, but anxiety is produced. Anxiety, when you feel anxious, it is produced when you are not living in the present moment. Because when we are not living in that present moment, we are creating a future reality that makes our present unbearable to live in. Because the future reality that doesn't even exist, right? You're anxious about what is, what will be, what might be, what could be. It hasn't happened yet. So, be in this present moment, and what meditation does is it brings you into that present moment in a split second, and you take that with you. You know, Alka, because of the field that you're in, which is really interesting because it seems like you're a 180 from meditation, you must yeah. be, <laughs> I mean, entrepreneurship, IT, CEO of this company, I mean, you must you have a great, a big impact, and I know that you work with, with young women, and I want you to talk about that, too, because... You know, you aren't the person, as you say, sitting on the mountain. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, but here you are. You're in the, the technical world, the business world, entrepreneurship, all of that, and yet you're practicing meditation. So I think that's, I mean, that has to be a, a real plus, I guess, for you in terms of getting the word out there, uh, literally. Um, what are... What are some of, like, I mean, we haven't specifically gone through, and maybe we have just in the course of our conversation, well, the seven essential tools and the seven key traits. Uh, I mean, those are specifically, that's what you're talking about in the book. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, so in the book, you know, I take, and these are things, everyone, I want to tell you, <laughs> these are all things that I feel or have felt or at some point through my journey and continue we all have these feelings and I wanted to kind of, you know, lift the veil a little bit and talk about these things and, but not just talk about them. I wanted to provide everything that I have learned and I use and that I've seen to be successful in my life and in my career. You know, I, you mentioned I am, I happen, one of my roles happens to be the CEO of an IT services firm. And I use these on a daily basis depending on the situation. So, 
I'll just, you know, share some of the, if you, if you have some, you know, so a few of the feelings that we all feel, like when you feel overwhelmed, has anybody ever felt that? Yes, that's, yeah. there's a reason why that is the number one thing I talk <laughs> about, the first thing I talk about. Uh, when you feel inadequate, when you feel anxious, right? And we've all felt that. When you feel indecisive, when you feel resentment and anger, when you feel taken advantage of, when you feel disrespected, I felt all of these things. Now, I'm going to say this. Women, we as women, these are things that I have felt. I happen to be a woman. So a lot of these things, uh, you're going to see the indecisiveness, the feeling disrespected, feeling taken advantage of. Those, those seem to be things that happen to women a lot. And I wrote this book. It was geared towards women, but I have to tell you, you can see by the endorsements, Dr. Deepak Chopra and Dr. Wayne Dyer have endorsed yep. this book, and they are men. And a lot of men are asking me, why did you write this book for women? Because we feel these things. And I said, well, then go buy the book. You yep. know, go read it <laughs> if you feel it. So, so the tools that are in here... The reason why I put these tools in is because they were, there were a lot of books out there and a lot of people out there that taught me how to deal with things when I got home. But I never, there was never anything out there, Catherine, that told me how to deal with it in the moment when I'm bleeding out and hemorrhaging. I mean, what do I do when I'm feeling this anxiety right now or feeling overwhelmed right now? So that's what I talk about in the book is I give certain key tools, whether it be affirmations to use. I also give mantras to use that are in Sanskrit, but you do not have to use those. I give an English affirmation and I give a an, a, a mantra, what we call it's a it's a Sanskrit def, word for affirmation for those of you that want to use that. But I tell you they were both chosen, they were both chosen for their specific vibrational qualities and effect your physical and emotional being. They are specifically chosen words because they have very specific vibrations. So, and I guess when and the key is the immediacy. That's what I'm. The immediacy. You, you don't yes, because you're get dying. frustrated at work or feel overwhelmed or indecisive or anxious, and then wait till you get home and, and <laughs> go for a, a gla- you go for your martini or scotch or whatever, which is often what happens, right? Uh, so you, it's you, it, the moment that you feel. Or have these yes. feelings. Okay. Yes. So I'm going to give you an example. So <clears throat> I'm going to give you an affirmation, right? So when you're feeling overwhelmed, and this is goes for anybody, and you can say this mentally, you can whisper it, or you can say it out loud. It does not. First question I get is how often, how long, how many times. It does not matter. The moment you start to feel it, I want you to repeat the following affirmation: This too shall pass. Four words, this too shall pass. These four words have a very specific, as I mentioned, vibrational quality to them. They specifically slow your breath down. You will see that when, even when I'm talking to you, I am repeating it right now, and I can notice it even though I'm not feeling overwhelmed at the moment, but you can, it still has that effect. This is a very big very big plug-and-play type of situation, right? So you start repeating that, you're going to notice an immediate difference. There are similar other tools that go for each other, you know, uh, other situation and emotion that you're feeling. There are also seven key traits that I talk about. Those are the traits that I feel that I cultivate, and I have seen people that function at a very high level, that have many, many things going on in their life, that have huge philanthropic endeavors, a lot of functioning uh, emotional relationships, 
billion-dollar corporations, right, they have these traits and they cultivate them. There is a reason why this book is called The Ohm Factor. And, there, and there's a reason when I met these people that, you know, you know, those people that kind of, uh, they flow through life, right? They saunter into a room, honestly, and they, and you just look at them and they have so much going on, but it, does, it doesn't look like anything phases them. There's zero stress that you perceive and they're just so wonderful to be around. Their energy is magnetic. It attracts you to them. And I asked them, the people like Deepak Chopra, Diane von Furstenberg, Ariana Huffington, I asked these people, you know, what, how do you do all of this? And all of them have a practice of meditation of some sort. All of them do. So See, anybody, I always have attributed to, in the, particularly the ones that you just mentioned, for instance, yeah. and I think those are good examples. Like yeah. I think, well, they're just... They're brilliant. They have a certain brain that's, you know, way over in the right side of that bell-shaped curve. So that gives them the ability to handle all this stuff and, and to not feel overwhelmed and anxious and indecisive. And I attribute it, which, it, what you're saying is really not necessarily true, but, like, they're Absolutely so intelligent. Not. They'll tell you to themselves. I mean, all every single one of them have had an aha moment. Every single one of them. Ariana Huffington talks about being in, laying in a pool of blood. You know, when she hit her head and that made her, you know, it's things, things like this happen, right? I mean, so, so I'm saying, so I coined this, the ohm factor, and this is what all of us have, the ohm factor. All of us are living a life that is at a very, ha- very high and fast pace. And you need to have, we need these tools and we must cultivate these traits. And through, through these practices that I've, you know, lined up here, I promise you, you will see a great difference. And I, and this is not about being like Alka Dillon. This is about being your best version of you. And I encourage all of you to start with those two minutes of meditation. I promise you, you'll see your life change. Okay. So now how does this work with, with, I know, cause I mentioned it earlier. I mean, right. you, um, you work with youth and I guess right. particularly young women, you know, yeah. how, yeah. And, and I don't know how young are you talking about teenagers or, uh, or even younger than that. Um, and so and I assume obviously you're introducing this, you know, the ohm factor to them. Um, is that different when you do it and you start at 14 than let's say as an no, adult? No, I'd rather take them at three if I could, but yeah. I can't. I can't, right? So, so I, I meet, I meet up, these yeah. young girls that are coming, that are coming out of, high, you know, in high school mostly. They're in high school or they're or they're gra- they're young, um, they're in college or they've just matriculated into the workforce. And I, you know, in, I, you know, teach them meditation. I teach them these tools. I, I let them see me in my environment. I'm very heavily involved in STEM, uh, science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, and I encourage these girls to get involved in those STEM-related careers because that is not our future. That is our present. And I want to encourage them to do that. Now, it doesn't matter what age, right, because meditation is part of the human condition. We all breathe, right? So if you breathe, you can meditate. I, you know, that, that is something you can, I, I started my, my, uh, my son, he started meditating at two years old. I started him on that. I wish, I wish I would have done that at that time because it gives you that ability to go within, to get in touch with yourself because it is not the other person that is causing your unhappiness. It is your perception of that situation that is causing you that emotional pain. So you need to use those tools to change your perception and thereby change your reality. 
Well, I've learned a lot today, and uh, I want to—it's um, something uh, very important. As I'm listening to you talking about, like introducing this to the kids, or the young women, or young men, as you say as well. Um, we have to say goodbye. I mean, this went by very oh. quickly. I want, yeah, I want to mention, but I wanted the book, the old. And the OM factor, a woman's spiritual guide to leadership, seven essential tools and seven key traits to cultivate for your success and well-being. Alka Dillon, uh, we can buy that bookstores everywhere online, um, I assume. And um, is the, did I mention? Do you have a website we can go? Yes, to? yes. You yeah. can get it. So you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on uh, BarnesandNoble.com. You can go into any bookstore website. What best way to reach me is www.alkadillon.com. That's A-L-K-A-D-H-I-L-L-O-N.com. You can reach me on Twitter at The Spiritual CEO, on Instagram at The Spiritual CEO, and on Facebook at Alka Dillon. I am very heavily involved on social media. Would love to connect with everyone. Fantastic. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. We're going to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zoxha, social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.